Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, climate dreamer and sustainability schemer. I'm also getting over a bit of a cold, so if I sound congested, then you've got some good headphones. The last two weeks, I shared an interview that I did with my friend Josh Huffman about making your own deodorant. This week, I want to take a step back and talk more generally about the effects of cosmetics on the climate. I've been making my own deodorant for six months now. Wow, that's crazy thinking about it like that. But I don't really know what that means for the climate. Is it a big deal? Is it a drop in the bucket? If I were to weigh myself now that I've started making my own deodorant, what does that mean really for my carbon weight, for my carbon emissions? So I did a little bit of digging and here's what I found. The first statistic is that the average woman in the U.S. uses 12 care products a day and the average man only six. That is crazy. I added up the care products that I use, and it's about nine, but not every day. For example, if I don't take a shower, I don't need shampoo, conditioner, or body wash. But if I do, then I also need hair gel or my hair gets frizzy. Then we've got dental floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, which I'm not sure counts as beauty care products. At any rate, I'm somewhere in the middle. Another thing that I found that was very interesting is the use of chemicals in cosmetics. And this is a really big deal. And this is something that Josh talked about in our interview. So the bottom line is we really don't know that much about what's in our cosmetic products and how it affects our health or the environment. The EU Cosmetics Directive was adopted in January 2003, most recently revised in 2013, and it bans over 1,300 chemicals from cosmetics that are known or suspected to cause cancer, genetic mutation, reproductive harm, or birth defects. That's bad, bad stuff that we shouldn't have in products that we put on our bodies and that end up in our bodies. In comparison, though, in the United States, the FDA has only banned or restricted 11 chemicals from cosmetics. So Josh, if you're listening, this is another reason why it's great for you to be making your own deodorant in the US, maybe in the EU, not as necessary, who knows? In the EU, the law requires pre-market safety assessment of cosmetics, mandatory registration of cosmetic products, government authorization for the use of nanomaterials, and it prohibits animal testing for cosmetic purposes. So a lot of the stuff that in the U.S. you have to be vigilant about if it's something that you care about in your cosmetics is kind of taken as a given in the EU thanks to the law. This is to me as a public administration fan, um, an example of government doing its job, in one case at least. But so, okay, let me break this down for you and also for me, the types of chemicals that we should care about, because there are a lot of different types of chemicals that go into cosmetics that have different effects. So first there are carcinogens. These are things that could be in your cosmetics that could give you cancer. That, that's not okay. Second are development and reproductive toxins. These are especially bad for babies and children and for the reproductive health of adults. 
Third are allergens and immunotoxins. These can trigger asthma and allergic reactions. If you have particularly sensitive skin or are prone to allergies, these are particularly bad. Fourth, and this is the big one in terms of climate, are petrochemicals and ingredients linked to deforestation. A lot of cosmetics use petroleum products in their production or in their ingredient list. I know that lip balms classically use petrochemicals, petroleum jelly, to give them their consistency. And this is why the rise of natural lip balms that use beeswax and more not fossil fuel linked ingredients are a better choice. In addition to petrochemicals, there is quite a lot of literature on palm oil as one example of an ingredient that is linked to deforestation. What you see in Indonesia, in Brazil, is massive fires set to old growth rainforests in order to replace them with palm oil plantations. So if you care about the climate balance of your cosmetics, these are two things to look for in particular, are petrochemicals and palm oil. What you can also think about is the plastics that almost all cosmetics come in. Here, there aren't really better products that have less packaging, but if you find something, I'd love to hear about it. And this is also a case where things like making your own cosmetics can save on packaging. Also, new trends like dry shampoos and solid bar soap use less packaging or only paper packaging rather than the plastics of a liquid body wash. So this could be a good option to reduce your climate balance in terms of keeping yourself clean. If you're interested in these different types of chemicals and learning more, you can check out the Think Dirty app, which has information on over 4,000 brands. I don't want to unreservedly recommend this app. They have really good information on the contents of cosmetics, and they have a green, yellow, red system to tell you the health and safety aspects of the product you might be interested in. But they're linked to very expensive verified products, which gives me pause. A monthly cosmetic subscription for $70 seems to me a little overkill. I don't think I spent $70 or 70 euro in total last year for the cosmetics that I use. Another really good resource is the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, which has reports on key toxins and a really great searchable database that links toxic ingredients by concern, by product, or by population. So for example, if you're really concerned about allergens or petrochemicals, you can type that in. If you're more interested in finding out what's in your shampoo, you can search that way. Or if you're interested in children or the elderly, you can search by population as well. So that's really all I could find. And as you can kind of tell, the information on cosmetics and climate change is pretty thin. We know very little about the impacts of what's going on with the cosmetics that we put on our bodies and in our bodies, but information on cosmetics and climate change is even harder to come by. So what does all of this mean? First, it's incredibly depressing to see all this and to see how little information is out there. It's kind of a failure on every level. First, cosmetics companies are down on the job of figuring out what's in their products and telling us. Regulators are also asleep at the switch, at least in the U.S., of testing the effects of different ingredients and 
also the interactions between ingredients, because this is something that scientists who have started doing research on cosmetics products have said is a huge, huge question mark that two chemicals that by themselves can be safe for human use when used together they can have a completely different effect. And because of the thousands of chemicals in our products and the different combinations that every person who uses cosmetics has, it's almost impossible to test all of this. And maybe this is why scientists are also kind of have thrown up their hands and they they haven't started doing a lot of this research. But particularly disturbing for me is they really haven't looked comprehensively at the climate impacts of this industry The cosmetics industry is projected to reach $400 billion in revenue next year. That's a lot of money, and that's a lot of churn. That's a lot of products being pumped out, a lot of chemicals being used, a lot of pollution being created, and no doubt, a lot of climate emissions. That's a big problem on a lot of fronts. So what this means is it's become more obvious to me how important it is to be careful about what cosmetics I buy and use. Sure, making my own deodorant has been fun and cheap and effective, but that's kind of just the first step of a longer process. So I want to try to make more recipes, and when I use up other beauty products, replace them with homemade versions. In terms of my climate diet, though, I have to admit that this change has probably only made a small impact. I've never been particularly vain about my appearance, so I don't use that many beauty products. And most of the beauty products I use have been given to me or I've picked up from friends or relatives. This is probably going to sound weird. This is something I talked to Josh about as well. But for example, for the past year, I've been using soap that I found cleaning out my husband's grandmother's bathroom. And I'm still using a shampoo left by an old roommate's girlfriend in my apartment. She didn't want to take it back to the U.S. with her. So I'm kind of an extreme case in the cosmetics realm, which means I don't have that much room to save on my emissions. But maybe you do. I'd love to hear from my listeners who use a lot of beauty products and who are trying to cut back, use more natural products, or make their own. You can send me an email lisa at myclimatediet.org, or you can send me a tweet at Lisa Pettibone. So that's wrapping up my month on cosmetics and climate change. What's giving me hope this week? The EU elections. Germans voted on Sunday, and the preliminary results are really giving me hope. They show the Green Party rising to become the second most popular party in the country with over 20% of the vote. In addition to this, the Greens were the majority party for voters under 45. This is a really big deal because it means that the percentage of the voting population voting for climate change is growing every day. So this is something that U.S. politicians and politicians in the rest of the world should pay attention to. And that's giving me hope. The last two months, I've focused on things that were fairly low impact in terms of climate emissions which is a little sad for me because I started this podcast to make a difference. I started this podcast as my crazy diet plan for the climate. I want to see results. I want to fit in my climate bathing suit at the end of the summer. So I want to really amp up the volume here. 
in June, I want to set myself a goal of reducing my emissions by one ton in four weeks. That's 20% of my total climate emissions. If you were a nutritionist and I was doing a real diet, you would say that is insane. 20% of your body weight, that is not realistic or healthy. Fortunately, this is a climate diet, so that's all okay, I think. Yes, the climate needs this. Come on, let's admit it. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to focus on something that I've been really waiting to dig into and something that I hope you all join me with, and that's finance. I'm going to look at the role that my bank account plays in promoting climate change, and I'm going to change banks. I got a postcard a few months ago, and I can't find it, so that's going to be one of my tasks for the next month. But it was from Umweltbank, the environmental bank in Germany. It made some claim about every thousand euro you invest with them or you save with them in your checking account is linked to climate savings of several kilograms. So this really got me thinking. I've followed the climate divestment movement from 350.org and others. I understand the role that finance plays in exacerbating climate change by funding fossil fuel exploration and production. I have two long-term savings accounts with environmental banks, but my day-to-day banking is with a normal bank, a bank that's not partic- that doesn't have a particular climate mission. So in June, I want to change that and I want to take a deeper look into what that means for my climate emissions. This week, I really want to thank Flita Mies in Hamburg. She says, I like your podcast, and I'm glad my brother Christian recommended it the other day. I have a little girl of two years, and I'm wondering what impact the diaper usage, whether plastic or cloth, is having on the overall amount of emission per person. We are using cloth diapers because plastic diapers depress me, but all the water and energy we need to wash it, I guess, is a lot. Your episode on Fridays for Future was really moving. I did attend one demo with my daughter here in Hamburg, and I also had thoughts of whether it was appropriate to chant along or even attend it. Looking forward to the next episode, Flita. Well, I have a lot to say, Flita, and some of it I said in an email to you, but let's start with the diapers. So my son is 21 months old, and the cloth versus disposable diaper was a big question we had in my household, particularly because my husband is the one who is primarily in charge of changing the diapers. I've always been for cloth for a lot of the reasons you cite. Plastic diapers depress me, and I see cloth diapers, reusable diapers, as inherently more environmentally friendly. But here are some thoughts. First, cloth diapers are better for the environment because they don't use petroleum and hazardous chemicals, and they also don't produce massive amounts of waste. Here, there's a bit of a difference between, for example, the U.S. and Germany because Germany incinerates its waste and the U.S. takes most of it to a landfill. Here, disposables have an even worse carbon balance because once they get to the landfill, they emit methane which is a greenhouse gas 20 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Okay, so basically reusable diapers, better than disposables. But still, if you choose cloth diapers, 
you're going to want to be smart about it. A couple things from our experience is to first, you want to buy diapers and inserts that are well-made and that are going to last you your child's entire diaper phase. Because the whole point of reusable is you can reuse it, right? So here, what I recommend are blueberry capris. These are really nice plastic external diaper made in the U.S. And they've fit our son for almost all of his life, not when he was a newborn, but since then they've been a really good fit as he's grown. They grow with him and they are better against blowouts than the disposable diapers we have to use for the Kita. I also recommend Melovia bamboo inserts. These have lasted my family almost two years. In contrast to cotton inserts, the multi-layer cotton inserts we've found disintegrate in the laundry after maybe a year of use, but the bamboo have not. They look basically brand new after almost two years of being used and washed basically once a week, if not twice a week. In addition, bamboo requires fewer resources to produce than cotton. So you're saving water, you're saving on pesticides, etc., etc. So that's the first thing, is to be smart when you're buying your reusable diapers. If you already have a kid, if you're already using reusable diapers, that first step is a bit too late for you. But the second step is also important. And this is being efficient in your washing. Wash a full load and let the stuff air dry. Now in Germany, I practically don't have to say this because no one I know has a clothes dryer. But in the U.S., this is something that can easily begin to tip the balance, not completely in favor of disposables, but I'll say it can wash out the effects of using reusable diapers. And yes, I understand that that's a pun. So I saw I um, did a little bit of digging and I found that a household with a clothes dryer emits over 2000 pounds of carbon dioxide a year that would need the equivalent of 45 trees to be reabsorbed in the atmosphere. So that's a big deal. If you consider those two aspects, then you're on a good path to maximize the climate benefits of using reusable diapers. Thanks for your email, Felita. I really enjoyed reading it. And thanks especially for your thoughts on Fridays for Future. And thanks, of course, for doing your part for the climate. Thanks for listening. For links and more information about what I talked about this week, go to my website, myclimatediet.org. The music in this podcast is by David from Kvens. I'd love to hear from you too. So feel free to write me an email with your climate question or climate solution to lisa at myclimatediet.org. Rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends, and consider starting a climate diet of your own. Because if we were all to go on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Atom da